My name is Lindsay Whiteside, and I am the student and outreach coordinator for our Hernando campus. And it is so good to be here worshiping with you this morning. It's such a cool experience for me um, to be back here. It might be a scary experience for some of you in the crowd, um, because this is a congregation that I grew up in. Um, I graduated from day school. Me and my siblings graduated um, from day school here. We've been through kids ministry, student ministry. I've done the internships the residency, um, and now I'm on staff. And so it has just been um, a joy this morning for my family um, to come back and to worship here. And so I just want to thank you guys for having me. Um, I know you're probably thinking all the, all the pastors are out on vacation. No, Hunter has given me all authority from this platform <laughs> to... Uh, do anything. But yeah, uh, this morning we're going to be talking about Elijah. And so I want to let you know that this morning we're going to be talking about uh, mental illness. We're going to be talking about um, depression, burnout, and suicidal ideation. And while I fully expect and I pray and my hope is that this sermon brings freedom, that this sermon is freeing and hopeful, um, I do want to note that I know these are hard and heavy topics um, that we're going to be covering, um, and I want to be sensitive to that with you this morning. And so I want to start by saying, first and foremost, depression is real and burnout is real. It's real. I say that because studies show and any English teacher that you talk to, they tell you that my introduction and my closing are the two most important things that I will probably say from here. Those are the things that we pay more attention to. And so this morning, if me validating that depression and burnout is real hooked you, then I guess I did pretty good in English growing up. And that's good. But most importantly, this morning, if me validating that from this platform, being in church leadership, telling you that something that you have walked through, something that you are walking through, something that someone you know and love is walking through, if you needed someone from the church to validate that for you, then I'm happy to be the one to tell you this morning that these things are very real. And we see them in the story of Elijah. So depression for some reason is not a mental illness that we like to talk about. It's not as accepted. Um, even sitting up here talking about it, preparing for this, it still doesn't roll off the tongue in the same way that maybe anxiety would. So a lot of times we don't accept that depression can be something that we struggle with. And, and I, I wanna say, first and foremost, that before we begin, a lot of times we get caught up in who can be depressed. What, what limitations that you have in your life, what criteria match up so that you will have this mental illness or whatever you wanna say. But I just wanna say this morning that depression, it does not care about socioeconomic status. It doesn't care about how good your family is doing, how your future looks. It doesn't care about the moment that you're in. It doesn't care. It doesn't care about who it is or what they said before or what they did before. It doesn't care. But I think mostly, most times we know that depression is real. 
We're not saying that it's a fake thing, but a lot of times we think that we won't be the ones to struggle with it. That the people we love won't be the ones to struggle with it. Yeah, it's real and it happens to people, but it could never happen to me. I have to let you know, um, because this is my first time uh, communicating here, that I am a, a very vulnerable and transparent communicator. Um, I think that is very important uh, to who I am when I get up and preach. And so um, I still want to be that with you this morning. And so I wanna let you know that I have walked through depression. I have personally struggled with depression and I'm currently medicated for my depression. And I add that I'm medicated because I'm on, the, on a journey with the Lord while he's healing, walking with him closely while he is healing me. And I, I sometimes feel as if there's this stigma that I need to go ahead and address when talking about mental illness um, in the church. Um, and I wanna go ahead and get rid of that. That the Lord can and will use anything to heal you, whether that be therapy, medication, whatever it might be. And I know that everybody is unique. Um, this is just my personal interpretation of it. And we're gonna see that in the story of Elijah. And I talked about earlier, for some reason, anxiety is more accepted. We talk about just being anxious a lot easier than we do being depressed. Nobody wants to be Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. And so for a long time for me, um, I tried to convince doctors and therapists and whoever that I did not have depression. Um, I would take the test. It's, it's actually funny. I was um, telling somebody about this. I took a test and, and the doctor, uh, she was like, Lindsay, you're like, you're, you have depression. I was like, ah, I must have answered some questions. Let me just take that again. She was like, no, like every single one of them lines up with depression. I was like, oh my goodness, this is no good. Because we don't want to have that. We don't want to be viewed as a person who is sad or, or negative or down. And that's how our culture, our society has made it. And so it wasn't until the end of my senior year of college that I really realized that depression had a grip on my life. Um, I played basketball in college. Um, and so my senior year, it was, it was a long journey. Um, I went uh, division three. I was mad that I went division three. Then I went division one, but I had a shoulder surgery and it was just all of these things. And when I tell my testimony, I talk about this one in particular game. It was the end of my uh, senior season. Um, I was starting, I'd made it into the starting lineup. And you know, you think about like college athletes when they're, especially basketball players, when they're about to be introduced, like what are they thinking about? When the lights are down, when the spotlights are going everywhere, the hype music is playing. They're like thinking about, oh, I hope I don't trip. Like that would be so embarrassing. Or like, am I gonna like, there's this weird, like am I gonna walk through the like tunnel or am I gonna like do a jog? Like those are all the things you think about. But in this moment, I remember sitting with my teammates um, on the stools that we had, uh, our other teammates were lined up, spotlights were going, cheerleaders were doing their thing. And all I could think about in that moment at the end of my senior season was the goodness of Jesus. And I don't say that to highlight that I'm like this spiritual person, 
But I had struggled with the journey that Jesus had brought me on my entire college career. And so to be sitting there and just be in awe of the ways his hand had been in every single aspect, just be in awe of the blessing it was to be there and to know that this was far greater than anything I had planned. And so in that moment, I saw the goodness of Jesus on full display, the power, the faithfulness, everything. I say it was my mountaintop experience. It was when I saw God the most. But the part that I don't tell is, is correlates with my Elijah story. And so I was on a mountaintop with God and then immediately, almost instantly, I was in a valley. When I finished basketball for good, when the season was over, I hit the depth of darkness. The depths of darkness. I only had one class and I'm pretty sure there are days where I didn't eat, I didn't get out of bed, or I didn't speak to another human being. You think about a college athlete as at the peak of her fitness journey, whatever you wanna call it, fitness, with no will to move, Think about a Christ follower who had just witnessed the overwhelming faithfulness of God, understood it with no will to trust him. And not to mention I had accepted this job at Getwell. So it wasn't as if my future was unclear. But for some reason, I was still incredibly depressed. And it wasn't until my roommate, she lived close. She went home for a weekend. And when she came back, she asked me a simple question of, what did you do while I was gone? And in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, I did nothing. Like nothing. Couldn't even tell you a meal that I had. But I realized that I, I had to lie to her. One of my best friends that I trust with everything, I had to lie because I didn't want her to see my depression. That's the moment that I knew that I needed help. I went from a mountaintop to a valley. I cannot explain it. I don't know how it happened, but I was able to seek out help. And it was there that the Lord met me and he began to heal me. I don't know what narrative the world has told you to believe this morning. I don't know what narrative the world has presented to you this morning. But all I can tell you is that there was a point in my life where I knew the great power of God, his faithfulness, but I also knew the depths of depression. The beautiful part of this series, this might be one of my favorite series that we've ever done, is that we get to take people just like you and like me in the Bible and see them as real people. Sometimes we have this tendency to glorify different things that they do or no, they're, they're you and they're me. They're real people. And we get to see them struggle with the same things that we struggle with, sin in the same way that we might sin. But the beauty is not in that. The beauty of this series is in the redemption that the Lord does through those people that are just like you and just like me. 
So this morning, I put this on the screen um, because for anyone who struggles or anyone who is walking through mental illness, this is something that I know to believe now, but it was very hard for me to believe at one point. And this is what we're getting to through the Elijah, through Elijah's story. This morning, I, who struggles with the mental illness of depression, can be redeemed by the Lord for a greater purpose than what my depression tells me I have. It might be hard to believe. It was hard for me to believe at one point. But this morning, we get to repeat this because every single person has a far greater purpose than what their depression tells them that they have. So we're gonna be in 1 Kings 19 this morning. We're gonna be looking at the story of Elijah. <clears throat> I want to give you a quick background of what's happening before 1 Kings 19. And so in 1 Kings 17, we see multiple different instances where the Lord provides Elijah with moments of deliverance. So different times where Elijah's like, or where God's like, Elijah, you gotta do this. And then he, he does what the Lord says. And then he looks back and says, it would have been really bad if I didn't do what he said. Like he sees the deliverance right before his eyes. He sees the Lord's faithfulness to provide him with this deliverance. And then in the next chapter, chapter 18, we see that Elijah wages war against the false prophet, prophets of Baal. And so Baal was known as not the most, the most Baal was known as the most popular of all the false gods. Many people worship this false god and oftentimes it evolved the sacrifice of one's firstborn to an altar. So in this story in chapter 18, we see Elijah all day, they've built this altar, these people that are worshiping Baal, they've built this altar to him and they're calling upon him to rain down fire on it. And all day Elijah sits there and he says, y'all wanna give up yet? Like, are y'all done? He's not gonna do it. He's not the one true God. And then we see that Elijah, at the end of the day, he builds an altar to the Lord. And he calls to the Lord to bring fire down. And the Lord brings fire down and destroys the altar of Baal, destroys the false gods. So I can't, I can't even imagine Elijah in, this, in these two chapters where he's seen this deliverance right before his eyes, where this moment of my God is the one true God, calling upon him and the Lord delivering that, everybody watching as their, their little God got destroyed right before their eyes. Like I would say that that is a mountaintop experience. The Lord is faithful to Elijah. He is powerful and he is near and he is listening. And so we pick up in 1 Kings 19, one through four. When Ahab got home, 
He told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow, I have not killed you just as you've killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And so going back up to the first couple of verses, we see this woman named Jezebel. Now Jezebel, she is the epitome of evil. It's in her name, it's in her background. She grew up worshiping Baal. Her father was high up in their religion. She just grew up just infatuated with this false God. And because she was so wicked, this threat that Elijah was the enemy, this threat from Jezebel that she was gonna kill him was very real and Elijah knew it. Elijah had taken everything that Jezebel had built her life around and destroyed it in an instant. The Lord did that, but Jezebel was threatening Elijah's life. Elijah had just experienced the mountaintop of God's true power. So you would think, we would think that in this moment, as Jezebel is putting out this threat on his life, that he would trust in the Lord that had been faithful to him before this. But this is not what we see. Unfortunately, we see that his response is fear. His response is to literally run for his life. But not only does he flee, he finds himself underneath this broom tree and he's begging the Lord to die. Elijah sits under this broom tree and we see that he is, he has suicidal ideation. He wants to die. He has had enough of everything and he cannot take the wicked world that he is living in. And this is what I wanna see that this is how depression works. There's no reasoning with it. There's no trying to explain it or figuring it out. That he had just experienced the mountaintop and almost immediately he was in the valley. We say, we look at this story and say he shouldn't be depressed. He shouldn't be struggling with this, but he is. He goes on to say that the reason behind taking his own life is because he is no better than the ancestors that have gone before him. At this point, Elijah has no purpose. Elijah feels like his purpose is gone. And, and the crazy thing is, we would look at the story of Elijah and say, you're a prophet of the Lord. And you're one of the vilest, evilest, wickedest enemies. You're doing something right for the Lord, Elijah. Can't you see? You're living your purpose out, but he, he can't see it. He wants to die. 
In this moment, we see burnout, we see depression, and we see suicidal ideation. But also in this moment, we see a real person. And so we're going to keep reading in verses 5 through 8. And so verse 5 says, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. So Elijah, he lays down under this broom tree after he's just been begging for his life and takes a nap. And then an angel comes up and touches him and tells him to eat. There will never be a time that anyone will ever be able to convince me that a nap and a meal is not a good form of self-care. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to have some food. But in this, the angel tells him that he must prepare for the journey that he has ahead of him. So the angel provides Elijah with nourishment, with, with bread baking on hot stones. And tells him, eat up. Eat up or you won't be able to continue. And it says he continues his journey with enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. Elijah calls out to God at the lowest of his lows. Even after he had just experienced God's faithfulness. And what does God do? He provides what Elijah needs at that exact moment. As well as what he will need for the journey ahead of him. Too often, I think in this moment, God would look at me and say, Lindsay, I've, you, I, I just showed you who I am. Elijah, I just showed you all that I can do. I am faithful to you. Why, why can't you understand that? Why can't you believe that? But instead, he doesn't do any of that. He provides him what he needs for the journey that he has ahead of him. So he arrives at a cave and spends the night. And we're going to finish reading through verse 18. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. 
But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and traveled to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nemeshi, to be king of Israel and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from the town of Abel Meholah to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu and those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. And so from those verses, we go back to the top. Imagine your alarm clock being God saying, what are you doing here? Like, I would never sleep again. Like, can you imagine that? Elijah is asleep and God wakes him up and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? So God asks this of Elijah and he responds with simply, God, I have done everything that you have asked for me. I've been faithful to you. I have trusted you. I've done everything. I've served you with my whole heart and I simply cannot take it anymore. The world is too evil and I am the only one left. How many prayers like this have we prayed or, or shouted at God? God, I can't do this anymore. The world, it's, it's going downhill. The world is too wicked. And I don't see how I'm going to live to the age 30, much less age 80. Or God, I don't know how my children or my grandchildren will be able to survive in a world like this. We'll be able to grow up and thrive and know you in a world like this. So many prayers. And so we can relate to Elijah here as he answers God. He said, God, I've done everything for you. I have nothing left. And how does God respond to Elijah? He tells him to walk out of the cave and experience his presence. There was a mighty windstorm that had such a blast that it knocked rocks loose but it says that God was not in that storm. The Lord was not in that storm. But the, then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Three different powerful and loud events. And the Lord could not be found in any of them. No matter how loud or powerful things seemed, what Elijah didn't know is that God was with him in the silence. Elijah did not find the Lord in any of the events because he found him in a gentle whisper. If you think about a whisper, if you're trying to tell someone a secret, by the way, secrets don't make friends, but if you're trying to tell someone a secret, what do you do? You get close to them. And in return, the person that is receiving the secret, receiving the whisper, is getting closer to the one that's giving it so that they can hear. I think about this dynamic 
in this moment of all of these loud and powerful events that the Lord showed himself. He said, come out and experience me. And he showed himself through a whisper. In that moment, Elijah knew that the Lord was bringing him close, that he was near, but also Elijah knew that he had to be near to the Lord to hear that whisper. He goes on to ask Elijah again the question that he has, he has asked before. And then right after that, after Elijah had experienced the presence of God, experienced God in a whisper, God sets into motion a plan that answers everything that Elijah has been desiring, people, a community that he can walk with. And he sets him back on his way to go do kingdom work because he had now experienced the Lord in the silence. And he was going back into the world, redeemed, rejuvenated, revived, whatever you wanna say. So there's three questions that I want us to answer this morning that usually we have in situations like this in our own lives. And so the first question be, why did the Lord not just come to Elijah under the broom tree? You think about the times that we're in our lowest of lows and we're just calling out to God, like, God, just deliver me from this, free me from this pain. We think he's an all-powerful God. He's an all-knowing God. He, he, he knows and he can do. And so in Elijah, why, why didn't God just go to Elijah right then? Under that broom tree, provide him with the answer that he wanted so desperately. And the simple answer is that he certainly could have. He certainly could have. But God knew exactly what Elijah needed in that moment. I don't want to hear it just like you don't want to hear it. But too many times we think we know what we need. And we don't. Elijah thought that he knew exactly the plan that he needed. He thought that death would be the answer. But, but God knew exactly what Elijah needed. The thing is the Lord knows exactly what we need in every single moment of our lives. Elijah felt like he needed death, but the Lord knew he needed sleep, food and water to prepare him for what the Lord had next for him. So often we want the powerful whisper of the Lord to fix our situation. It would be so easy. But the thing is, if Elijah didn't have the strength to get to Mount Sinai, he would have never experienced God. He would have never had that experience to know that when the world got loud, the Lord was with him in his silence. In the silence. Question number two, why is the Lord not louder than the world? You're an all-powerful God. This world is so loud. 
feels like every single moment there's something popping up about some destruction that's happening. We talk about all the time, the world, there's just no way that we can see our grandchildren, our children growing up in a world like this. If he's an all-powerful God, why can't he just be louder than the world? But the thing is that he's, he's already overcome the world. So there's no need for him to be louder than it. His promises stand no, ma no matter the volume of the circumstances around us. The bottom line is all the world has is its screams. All it has is the volume. And it is trying to take anyone and everyone down with it. Recently, I got on Twitter and um, you, the question is, like, get on Twitter and your anxiety is just immediately going to go up. Just for five minutes, just do it as a social experiment. Um, but recently I got on Twitter and I found out that the dollar was, like, gonna, about to lose all of its worth. Okay? If it's still about to, don't come up and tell me. I, I'm just going to be ignorant for the rest of my life. But I got on there and I was, like, going to my family. I was like, y'all, what are we going to do? And so then my family went into a crisis because like none of us know how to like maintain a garden or like care for ourselves. Um, and so we were all freaking out. We're like, what the heck are we gonna do? Like it, if this happens, how are we gonna live? And it was, cr it was crazy. Like looking back at it, we can laugh. But in that moment, I was very serious. But my family, we had to realize that we had immediate fear because the world was loud, but we had to hear the quiet whisper of Jesus, the promises that he has made. No matter if the dollar bill loses its worth, that his promise of his faithfulness will always be there. The Lord can absolutely have been in the wind, fire, earthquake with Elijah. No doubt. He can be in the tsunami, in our political parties, whatever the world throws at us, because he is that powerful. But his gentleness reassures us that he has already overcome the world. John 16, 33 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Like, I, I hate to break it to you, but it, it says right here that we are going to have trials and sorrows. We are going to struggle. We are going to grieve. All of these things. But, but Jesus says, take heart because I have overcome the world. That's all the world has. And the last question, why did the Lord show himself in a whisper to Elijah first and then ask him the same question again? I mean, it's like a copy and pasted it, right? He's an, he's an all-knowing God. So it's not like, you know, he didn't already know the answer. But when Elijah answered it the first time, it's not like the Lord forgot what his answer was. But he still asked it again, and Elijah gave the same answer. So what was, what was the point of that? 
And I think that the point was that Elijah, he just wanted an answer for his depression. He just wanted a quick fix to make him stop feeling that way. But the Lord knew his immediate need. He knew his future needs. He knew that the world would get loud again and that he would need to have that experience of the whisper. And the Lord gave him the answer to what he was desiring. The Lord didn't just immediately provide him with the answer because God, he knew that he needed rest and nourishment. The Lord didn't provide him with the answer first because he knew Elijah needed to hear him in the whisper. He knew that he needed to experience him. God tells Elijah, come out of the cave and experience me. Then he goes on and he provides him with the comfort of returning and continuing on doing great work for the kingdom. He provides him with redemption when Elijah probably didn't think that he deserved it or he needed it. He just wanted to leave this world. There are some people in the church that might believe or say that someone who is struggling with depression, who is walking through depression, isn't following Christ because if you have Jesus, you shouldn't be depressed. Or some version of you don't need antidepressants or a therapist if you have Jesus. And I fully, I, I believe that, that Jesus is all powerful. He is the healer, the ultimate healer. But I mentioned earlier that therapy and antidepressants have been part of my own journey. And just like Elijah, I feel as if the Lord, he knew my immediate needs and he has met them through those needs. That the Lord has done the healing through those things. And with my needs being met, I have heard his whisper and he is and will continue to answer all the questions that I have. I believe that the Bible is the inherent word of God, absolutely. That what this means is that there is no error or fault, even though it was written by human hands, the Lord used those hands to write his word. And I believe that the story of Elijah was one that the Lord knew we needed to hear. So as we leave today, there's two things that we can walk out of here with this morning after hearing about the story of Elijah. Number one being that I don't believe that everyone struggles, is going to struggle or walk through depression. I don't think that's how it works. But with the numbers showing how many people do struggle with it, there's likely someone in your life that you have no idea is walking through that. This morning after reading Elijah's story, we can be empathetic we can be compassionate and loving to those people in our lives. I, spoiler alert, I did preach this at South Haven, I mean, at Hernando two weeks ago, so don't, don't kill me. But um, after I got done preaching it, my mom, I got home and my mom was like, Lindsay, I had no idea. Lindsay, I'm so sorry. Like, was I a bad mom? Like, I had no idea that this was, like, you were struggling with it this much. And that's, that's the thing, is that we walk through life and we have no idea that this is something that people are walking through. And we can be empathetic and loving and show them Jesus, even if we never understand it. 
We don't have to understand it. We don't have to relate to be there for them. Number two, hear me when I say that if you are someone who is struggling with depression, burnout, or suicidal ideation this morning, know that we hear you, we see you, and we love you. I work at Herdano, but I, I have the opportunity to know all the leadership here in their hearts. And they would come up here and echo the exact same thing. They hear you, they see you, they love you. They want to walk with you through this. It doesn't matter who you are, what your gender is, what your socioeconomic status is. Like I said, depression does not care. But this leadership, our leadership at Gitwell, we know that there is freedom in Jesus, that he is near even through this. And we want to walk with you. We want to listen. But know most importantly, that there is a God who knows you infinitely more than we ever could. We try our best, but there is the creator of the universe that knows your heart better than anyone. And he cares about you. He sees you, he hears you, he loves you, and he is near. He is on this journey with you and he has a distinct purpose for you in his kingdom. No matter how hard it is to believe that, there's a purpose for you in his kingdom. I'll close with um, a quick story. Um, this, <clears throat> I'm very open about this. Uh, we recently took a group of middle schoolers to um, the Ocoee. And I'm very open that it is, it is the worst week of the year for me. Like, I, I'll just be honest. I'll say that. And here's why. Because it's something about taking your students, your 12-year-old to 14-year-old students, to the middle of nowhere with no cell phone service that just really just makes me want to break out in hives. That's, that's it. That's why it's the worst week of the year for me. And you know, usually when you make dramatic statements like that, the Lord is just ready to just stick it to you and be like, actually, this is going to be the best week of your life. Um, and he was just waiting for that moment. And here's what happened. I have, um, usually I wouldn't name drop kids that I currently have in my student ministry, but his name is Ford. Ford is one of the best eighth graders I've ever met. I love that kid. I love that kid. I see smiles everywhere from like students here and they're like, yes, I love Ford. Ford is a, a O-lineman for his football team. He's just a big dude. He's a big athletic dude and just everything you could imagine Ford would be, but he has this infectious personality. I mean, I'm spoiled as a youth pastor to have Ford in my youth group because it's like everyone just flocks to him. He is the glue that brings everyone together. He is, he's, he's awesome. He's awesome. But I, what I didn't know is that one night we're sitting there, I'm talking to um, one of my girls and I'm, I'm having this conversation and my intern, Price, he comes in and he's like, he's like fidgety. He's like freaking out. Like it's, there's just like this something about him. He's like, Lizzie, you gotta, you gotta come, you gotta, um, I, Ford. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? You know, I'm, I'm, worst week of my life. I'm nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on outside these, this cabin? 
He's like, no, Lindsay, like Ford just gave his life to Jesus. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and so I walk outside and it was just Ford there just weeping. I mean, tears running down his face, shirt wet from what he had just experienced. And he just had the biggest smile on his face. The joy that he had in his face by saying, he looked at me, he said, Lindsay, I saw Jesus. I experienced Jesus. I know Jesus. And he gave me a big hug. And what I wanted to get at is that after this, was something that I could not imagine to experience. Is that he walks in, and I, I don't know what to do. I just say to everybody, hey, y'all Ford, he just accepted Jesus. And it was like an uproar of middle school boys. Like it was, it was crazy. It was a crazy experience. They just started cheering. They started clapping. They started high-fiving him, giving them hugs. And what's even crazier after that is that then they started crying because they were experiencing the joy that Ford had in that moment. And I watched high school boys that try to act like they're cooler than everything cry with Ford because he had experienced Jesus. And I remember sitting back and looking at it. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm crying, of course, because it was just it was such a special moment. And I'm sitting back and I remember Allie Rogers, she said, they don't even realize that this is a glimpse of what heaven is gonna be like. They don't, even, they don't even realize. And it was in that moment that I realized that heaven is gonna be infinitely more than what that group of middle school boys was, middle school and high school boys. But in that moment, as they were celebrating their brother in Christ, celebrating the freedom that he now had, the joy that he now had, that everything else just went away. Everything else, the world did not matter. The trauma did not matter. Their sin, their shame, their guilt, it did not matter. Because the freedom of Jesus was way better in that moment to be celebrated. This morning, we talked about some heavy and hard topics. But this morning, I hope that we saw the glimpse of heaven that we have, the hope that we have, that we can be redeemed. That we were not made for this world, but the world has already been overcome. This morning that you know that there's a creator that loves you and cares for you infinitely more than I ever could. And that's a lot. This morning, our chains are gone. And one day we get to experience what Ford and those middle school boys were experienced high-fiving each other because we get to be in the presence of our Savior. But take heart because I've overcome the world. And we get to do that this morning in during communion as we take communion together. It matched up perfectly because the worship team is singing Hymn of Heaven. I love that song. But also we get to come and we get to show reverence. We get to remember what our Savior did so that we can have that glimpse of heaven. We get to remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed 
so that we have this hope in this world. What a blessing it is, how undeserving that we are, that we can't explain the different things that we walk through. But goodness gracious, what a hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a blessing it is to open your word. Lord, to see all the, the stories and the lives of people who you have touched, who you have redeemed. Lord, and we get to use those stories to continue on our journey. Lord, I pray that this morning that your spirit is in this place and it is moving, Lord. And I pray for the person in the room who is struggling, who is walking through depression and they cannot find you anywhere near. Lord, I pray this morning that they feel your presence. They hear your whisper. Lord, I pray that this morning that the person who, who cannot relate to what their loved one is going through, Lord, that you show them that you don't have to. Lord, that you can just love them where they're at. Lord, I pray for this time of communion. Lord, that we can just remember the gift that you gave us on the cross. And we can praise the hope that we have in this world. Lord, it is in your holy and precious name that I pray. Amen.